Hey, listener, Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. You can play Pick'em, pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower total in each stat for this week's games for a chance to win big. You can actually win up to 100 times your money in a single night. That's right. I didn't say 10. I didn't say 20. Up to 100 times your money. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick them entry. My favorite feature, you can make rivals picks. Pit two players against each other. Wembenyama versus Nikola Jokic. Tim Hardaway Jr. versus Norm Powell. Kawhi Leonard versus Steph Curry. Who knows? Maybe Grayson Allen versus Pat Connaughton. You get where I'm going with that. You can do it all with Underdog Fantasy. Make sure you sign up today with the promo code DING. That's D-I-N-G. And get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick'em special. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our promo code DING, D-I-N-G, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick'em special. Must be 18 or older and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Welcome, 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 welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to your latest edition of the Woke Bros. I'm your host, Big Waz. My man Michael Brooks is on vacation this week, and quite frankly, I was a little bit too lazy to find a guest host, so I'm doing this by myself. Shouts to Mike Brooks. I want to thank Boscar for coming on last week, man. Boscar Sunkara of Jacobin Mag. He was fantastic. The feedback was incredible, man. Um, people enjoyed the free-flowing nature of the conversation. We went from basketball to Bernie to getting punched in your face. We we took it all over the place. We ran the gamut. So I want to thank everybody who reached out and appreciated the episode. And, of course, Boscar for coming on. Of course, as always, um, the semi-evil producer, Roboto Rob Lopez, is here on the ones and twos. He's in the building. What up, Rob? What's going on? How we doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good, man. It's a it's a it's a two hander this this week. So you know, just be ready. Um, of course, you know we're only about a week out, a little bit more than a week, eight days from the live show in Boston at the Middle East in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Myself, Zach Harper, Black Trey, Amin, Mariano, uh, Tom Habistro, Ethan Sherwood Strauss. We got Pablo Torre pulling up, man. We got we got Henry Abbott pulling up. We're gonna have a, a few other special guests pulling up, man. Everybody's gonna be in Boston around that town. Uh still got a very minimal amount of tickets left. So get on that, man. All my Northeast people. Uh if you're able to make it up to Boston, you should. You will not regret it. Uh be on the lookout for that, of course. And we have the LA Live show of the TMBS show. Right now, of course, we got Anna Kasparian, Nando Vila as special guests. And, of course, myself. I'm going to be in the building in all my splendor, acting crazy, being a dirty commie, uh, being a treason. No, nah, not treason. I guess they don't, we don't They don't accuse commies of being treason. Treason is bastards anymore. We're just, you know, <laughs> we're just second-class citizens They're now. just it's bastards, been, not treason. Right? <laughs> it's crazy how, how, how these things change. But, but, but yeah, man, be on a lot. Be, make sure you you guys get your tickets for the LA live show of the TNBS show. Now, uh, you know, we get today's a mailbag edition of the woke bros, which, you know, it was basically me and Rob decided we didn't want to produce the show today. So we let y'all produce it for us. Uh, Rob, let me get, let me get that first question, man. You know, let's, let's start it off with the easy topic here. Uh, since it is uh, national Rihanna day, just yeah. a question for was the biggest Rihanna stand in the world. Can you power rank maybe your top three for Rihanna albums since we ain't ever getting one? I mean, honestly, the the only Rihanna albums that I've listened to with any real regularity were the last two. Right? Were Anton, I think Talk That Talk, was that the, the one before that? I think so. Let me see her discography. 
So the last two albums were the first Rihanna albums that I've like played in any meaningful way. Like before that, I was just like everybody else. And because she would put out five, six singles per album cycle and they'd all be hits and they'd all do numbers and you'd hear them all the time. That was basically my version of listening to Rihanna albums before the last two. You know what I'm saying? And so um, her last the, two are anti and unapologetic. Un- unapologetic, yeah. Which, so by the those, way, that's some distance between those two. 2012 and 2016. We're almost well, four and years. We're, and now we're 2019. But if you remember when she first came out, she was putting them out every single year. Right. So she's kind of earned the, you know, the right to wait a little bit in between albums and all of that. So um. Yeah, man. Obviously, Anti is a classic. It's a modern day classic. Every time, every time I spend any extended amount of time not listening to the album, every time I put it back on, I'm reminded like, wow, this this album is so freaking fire, and it runs the gamut from stuff like, you know, work with Drake or the Woo record with Travis to Love on the Brain. Like, it goes from ballads to bangers to, you know, stuff like James Joint, which is, like, not a ballad, not a banger, but just straight smooth it out, vibey type of stuff. Like, that album is so complete, so well-rounded. It's, you know, it's Rihanna fully realized as an artist. And, you know, and the capital A artist, too. So, obviously, I'm still bumping that. I'm still mesmerized by the album. I'm still mesmerized by Rihanna as a public figure right like she's she's beyond just a singer or just a model or just a pitch person like she's a symbol at this point for feminine power uh femininity just in general uh just being a a strong presence um as a woman man so i'm proud of who she's become it's 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 quite inspiring her to to watch her journey from the pondere play woman to you know this mega force in cultures is incredible that question by the way came from z at z fiki d thanks z for the question um next one up i mean i can't really pinpoint on any one person for this one but bernie i mean he announces presidential or his intentions to run for the uh presidency in 2020 multiple questions on the perfect ticket um if 45 is actually going to rerun who what other Dems do you think could uh, put up a challenge against Bernie? So um, this one's kind of you kind of ISO take space. And, and what do you think about, you know, everything Bernie and, and 2020? I mean, OK, so perfect ticket, which is easy for me. It's, it's so easy. It's like it's either if you're going to the perfect ticket would be either him and Elizabeth Warren or him and Sherrod Brown. And Sherrod Brown is somebody who's like, <laughs> The Senate races in Ohio, man, those margins keep getting smaller and smaller as Ohio becomes more red and more red. Uh, So Sherrod Brown, like being a vice president and actually, you know, maybe carving, maybe him and Bernie working together to carve out something where he would actually be influential in the administration. uh, I think that would be an incredible ticket. And some people would be like, oh, two white guys in the new rainbow coalition of the Democratic Party. I mean, the the bottom line is if Bernie wins our nomination is going to be because of his ideas straight up and down. You know, it's going to be because his ideas around work, his ideas around taxes, his ideas around healthcare, his ideas around like labor, which are issues that are right up Sherrod Brown's alley. So, you know, I feel like Sherrod Brown would be an incredible person on the ticket. But Obviously, the thing, Warren. The thing, sorry to cut you off about Sherrod Brown, is that he doesn't care about this Medicare stuff. He doesn't, he's not here for it, for Bernie's Medicare stuff. Sure, but that doesn't mean he can't be turned around on right. it. Right. Or that they can't like, find a middle ground on something. Right. Like that he can't – that he wouldn't fall in line, specifically if he's offered actual power. Right? Not to say that, right. that he's going to be made some Dick Cheney type of figure, but I think Sherrod Brown, just because of his background in labor and his his straight up – straight up and down, white working class people believe in who this guy is and what he stands for. And, you know, he's a, he's a great uh, – He's a great bone to throw out there to those people because he's authentically that and he is authentically progressive, right? It's not Joe Biden, (laughs) you know what I'm saying, who people will tell you like, oh, white working class people identify with him. But like at the end of the day, Joe Biden's a, you know, he's a capitalist, bro. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like he just is. I get that he's white and he's old and he's plain spoken and he has charisma, but he's not (laughs) – 
he's not actually somebody of the white working class anymore. I'm sure he used to be that in Scranton. But like at this point, man, when it comes to the banks and, and all of that stuff in Wall Street, like he is so not that. So I think Sherrod Brown is actually an authentic manifestation of everybody's desire to kowtow to white working class people. Um, obviously, Warren, that would be my like me personally of, the, you know, of the people who are in the field right now. Warren would be my personal favorite pick um, to, to, to head up the ticket. I just think, you know, her and Bernie, like they complement each other fairly well. And they're they're in lockstep with a lot of this stuff, man. They were the first people talking about um, this, uh, the, the 15, the fight for 15, health care, in, uh, um, income inequality, uh, the fight being fixed and rigged. Like they are in lockstep with a lot of that message. So I think that would be an incredible ticket. Uh uh, somebody else who I think would be incredible with Bernie is Beto because I think because he's so new, I think his 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 message can be form fitted for whatever the ticket wants it to be. And of course, he's got that money base in Texas. He's got young people enthusiastic about him. Uh, I just think he would be incredible on the stump, man. I just I just think that would be an incredible mixture. And he's and he does have that it. He just does. And by the way, a lot of people don't like to say this, but Bernie does too. Like the reason why there's a cult-like um, – <laughs> there's just a cult-like aura about him and around his followers because people love him. People do realize that he has charisma. People do realize that he's about the right shit. So, you know, I think that ticket would be incredible. Um, now, as far as the announcement and all of those things, and I'm not ashamed to tell people all the time uh, – you know, Charles Pierce is one of my favorite people in, in, in all of media, whether it be written, whether it be TV, whether it be podcast, however you want to phrase it. I thought he had something interesting to say about Bernie's run in the sense that, like, Bernie no longer owns these issues, right? Meaning they're not his anymore. Uh, the fight for 15, Medicare for all, uh, free college, public college tuition, like, these things have, be have become so mainstream within the party. It's like, it's straight up a litmus test, right? So I don't know that Bernie could run on like just straight up these are my issues and I own them and nobody else can have them the party writ large has embraced these issues which to me that's what's gonna be his legacy bro like when he dies you know it's gonna be like man Bernie Sanders fought to make the other major party in America a party that cares about working people again and working people um expressly right in a in a way that isn't just uh you throw head fakes towards these issues and then we act like you know welfare reforming something that affects working people while also being in bed with wall street people right the dems no longer have the ability to toe that wall street line and the working people line like they've been forced to make a choice and that's yo he it's bernie it's because of bernie that being said you know, to me, it's going to be hard for him to come out there and act like because other people within the party have adopted it, they don't get they don't have a right to run on it. Right. Um, I think that's going to be a problem for him. And, and, and I just thought it was interesting that Chuck Pierce uh, brought that up. I just think that's it's going to be a hell of a fight to get this nomination because the field is so wide. It's, you know, they said last in 2015, they said that the, the Dems had sort of cleared the field for uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton. And in a lot of ways, that was true. And Bernie threw a monkey wrench and all of that. Well, in 2019, we had the opposite of that. This is a wide open race. You know, there are no quote unquote party favorites and this, this, that, and the third and whatever. Um, I just think it's going to be interesting. I, you know, to me, to my mind, he's the he's the front runner. He's got the most name recognition. He's got a lot of money behind him. He's got the freaking issues that are energizing the party at the moment. Like he has off, he has street cred. He has you know credibility on these issues. Uh, and so to me, he's he's the he's got to be the front runner. Since this campaign, John, is a continuation of what we did in 2016, you will recall, you may recall, that in 2016, many of the ideas that I talked about, Medicare for all, raising the minimum wage, 
uh, to $15 an hour, uh, making public colleges and universities tuition-free. All of those ideas, people say, oh, Bernie, they're so radical. They are extremely American people. Just won't accept those ideas. Well, you know what's happened in over three years? All of those ideas and many more are now part of the political mainstream. So you're saying the party came your way? Well, I don't want to say that. I think most people would say that. All right. Thank you, Bernie, uh, or Big Waz, Bernie supporter. Thanks, Waz. Uh, <laughs> next up is from the Discord. And once again, everybody, if you're listening now, you can access the Discord. You can talk to other Confidence fans. You can submit questions for Waz, Zach, and anybody else who's on there. Um, this one comes from Dave S. Berland. He's wondering, what is effective in countering hate groups that are growing in confidence? Obviously, he's alluding to uh, white nationalists, white supremacists, and, and a bunch of other hate groups that are growing in popularity and numbers over the last couple years, especially on social media and in public forums. Um, in your opinion, what do you think is the best way to handle, you know, these these growing numbers of people who obviously have hate in their heart? I Look, from where I sit in Los Angeles, California, like what can I really do, right? <laughs> Besides right. get on a podcast that people who already think like me listen to and will listen to, uh, you know, tweet the way I do, present myself in public the way I do. It's really not nothing I can personally do um, to assuage that kind of thing, to, to dim the glimmer of whatever the appeal of white nationalism, white supremacy is for a certain type of white person. I, to a certain extent, I don't know that there's anything you can do individually as a citizen, right? I think it's up to our elected officials. I think it's up to the, the people who wield influence to like, one, you know, give people amazing and better alternatives, offer them alternatives. I think a lot of the a lot of the arguments that I get into with um, Bernie people and people on the left is is like their unwillingness to to accept the idea. And me and Michael get into it about this all the time. It's like I don't know that white Republican loving people, even people who are quote unquote economically, what's the what are we calling them economically anxious? <laughs> People uh, want to receive a message of economic equality from somebody who comes from a party that is perceived to be about black and brown people, right? And expressly so. I think we got to find a way to thread that needle, right? I, like the, the, as far as offering the better alternatives, is I just don't think somebody like Bernie, I think somebody like Bernie might have credibility, but it's hard for somebody like Hillary, Hillary Clinton specifically to have credibility with a certain type of con small C conservative white person who is just like, yo, you're filthy rich. You give speeches to Goldman Sachs. Now you want to sell me a bill of goods about economic equality and a minimum wage hike and it is this that and the third when you about the party of black people we know what your priorities are it's about those people it ain't about me it's hard for those people to it's hard for a certain type of person in the middle of the country to believe that a democrat um has credibility on these um these other issues that's and I, and I say these other issues because there has to be alternatives because it has to be either that offer better alternatives or People have to be very badly injured by the folks that they love, right? In other words, like if somebody is a white supremacist and they do love our current president, right, um, they granny got to lose a job and lose health care benefits and like lose their Medicare, lose their social. Like their granny got to get hurt. Like they have to be personally injured by these people who are giving them the things that they think that they want right now. So those are the only two alternatives in 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 my opinion, right? Um, A lot of times – a lot of times we get into the argument about, well, there are racist people in the Democratic Party. And yeah, sure, there are um, white people who hate minorities who are in the Democratic Party. Um, but you know what? They hate Republicans more because maybe their father lost their union job and therefore their house got foreclosed on. Right. Like <laughs> there's a, like there's a reason why they vote Democrat because it's like, yeah, I don't like black or brown people, but I know who I hate more. It's these money-grubbing motherfuckers on the right. And so that's what I think. I think certain type of white person has to be personally injured by those folks to get out of that uh, way of thinking. 
Interesting question here from a uh, new interactor of the show, um, S-Belg at S-Belg1. Uh, they ask, what's the difference between and, – and we have to open up our uh, race cap here a little bit, uh, which I know Waz <laughs> enjoys very much. Uh, he asked what's the – or they asked, what's the difference between a little bit of African in them and all Europeans are soft? Why is one understood as racist and the other is just a stereotype? And it's it's very easy to answer this in one simple question because one group has never been subjugated by the other group for centuries. Like it's that simple. That's why it matters. That's why it matters. The Europeans have subjugated the African people for four or five hundred years. That's why that shit matters. That's why it's a problem. That's why it needs to be stamped out. And by the way, it subsists to this day. And so when you try to do the reverse racism, just show me, ah, boy, show me the town, show me the place in America where a white person will live under the rule of a black sheriff, a black mayor, a black governor, a black city, like where everybody who makes the influential decisions around you are black. Right. That's why this shit matters. White people make decisions that severely affect the lives of black people. Black people don't do it in the reverse to white people. That's why what you're saying is asinine and stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Black people don't get to subjugate Europeans. At the end of the day, Dirk Nowitzki still gets to play in the NBA for 20 years and get paid well for it. Right. Because whatever the NBA is a meritocracy and he gets to go out and do that. But when people make these stupid comparisons, it's like, no, dude, the African people have been exploited, subjugated, fucked over, for lack of a better term. I know I could have been more eloquent there, but like by European people. So it's a problem when a white guy in a powerful position in a predominantly black sport uses he's got a little bit of African in him as a pejorative. Like, it's just different from Shaq thinking that Vladi Divac is soft. It, the, the power dynamics there don't even compare. So, guys, come on. Get better with these fucking questions, man. If you, <laughs> I would think somebody who's listening to Woke Bros would know why that's a stupid thing to say. Next up from uh, Matt Malapai, kind of keeping with the sports theme here, uh, at Oost Buffer. He asks, would, Ka- would Cap signing with the Patriots hurt the cause at all? Um, for those who don't know, Colin Kaepernick recently, I guess you could say, won his grievance or, or settled um, his grievance with the NFL. Um, him and Eric Reed were claiming that the NFL were blackballing the two players um, due to their um, national anthem protests. So, so as far as the cause, um, and today Nike just released a bunch of special edition Colin Kaepernick black, all black jerseys for sale. Um, so yeah, as far as the cause and such, um, what do you think about you know Cap if he does sign with the Patriots? I mean, we've kind of you kind of touched on a little bit on bomb, but didn't go full full waz tilt. Oh, uh, look, man, I, I have a I have a certain amount of. I just don't understand the concept that and you know the qu- the question wasn't framed in a way of like oh is he se- would it be selling out it's like uh is it detrimental to the cause for this guy to work again particularly for that organization and it's just like no and the also bottom- I hate to interrupt too and also we don't know if part of that agreement is that he agrees to not pursue an NFL career sure and the and the bottom line is man like The thing about being an NFL quarterback is that it's a highly specialized job. Colin Kaepernick has put in so much hours, so much sacrifice, being the best player that he could be at this highly specialized profession. Um, The idea that he wasn't able to participate in his chosen profession because he said that cops should stop whooping the asses of black people and killing them on the street for no reason is just like he already paid an ultimate sacrifice. Like how at a certain point, how much sacrifices does this one dude have to make? Right. Like he missed out on his career for two years. He's been dragged through the mud. He's had death threats on his life, that of his family. Like he's had horrible things said about him. Um, you know, ultimate, and again, ultimately for me, which is a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of uh, 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 digression. It, it, 
this is an issue of labor, bro. This is a labor issue to me as as Ted starts barking because even he's mad about the Kaepernick. So I want to say backlash. People aren't killing him. People aren't like, oh, he took the money and ran. It's not that, but it's just people always feel suspicious when um, activist types get paid for stuff. And the bot at the bottom, like this was a labor dispute. Like he got he he was he got blackballed. He wasn't able to work for his money. This is for this is for time lost. He got paid. This isn't some, you know, this isn't some payoff, some hush money. No, like I lost time off of my life, off of my, you know, my ability to work, dude. Like that's what he got paid for. This isn't like some, I don't even know. I don't even understand how people are viewing this settlement money. The reason why they paid him a little bit extra because they embarrassed themselves. Right. And they knew that it would be it, they would be made to made to be seen as people who came out and embarrassed themselves about this shit. So, no, I don't think Colin Kaepernick working in the NFL again. The bottom line is we're in a we're in a position where. It's ridiculous to ask all NFL players to get out of the NFL because they're black. This is what they've worked their whole lives towards. How are you going to And by the way, the pressure's already on them. They already paying mortgages for their mom and their aunt and their cousin and their grandmother. They already paying for college for these people. They have people who depend on them. So this idea that a black man shouldn't work in the NFL because the power structure is so overtly racist is just not realistic. It's naive and ridiculous. And nobody would actually do this shit. Right. Like if there was an alternative. Right. Let's just say NFL players could go out and start a new league that was all black owned and player owned. That's not a realistic alternative. Maybe in the future we should, you know, as black people with capital, uh, we should go out and try to achieve something like that. Sure. I don't know how feasible or realistic it is. But under the current paradigm to ask these these brothers like, yo, quit your fucking job. The job that you've literally been working towards since you're like 10 years old. The only thing you've worked towards, by the way, right? Like this is the only thing they've worked towards. You should quit that. Stop supporting all of the people around you um, because Jerry Jones is a problematic face. It's too late for that, bro. We're too far past that. So even for Colin, even for Colin who's come out and, you know, basically showed you the racist and ridiculous ways of this organization slash institution the idea that he shouldn't work it again i just don't understand that even for the nfl we're not there they like there are no alternatives for somebody like colin he's way past the road he's already dedicated his life and you know we get it oh well he can go on a book tour or he can go on a speaking tour in college oh he could bro this man was this man lived his life starting from a kid to do what it is that he's trying to do now so no i don't i don't think he'd be selling out for my playing for the patriots skip you and i both know this you covered the league for 40 years i played in it and i covered today if the nfl fought they could take this to court and win Colin Kaepernick would not have been offered a settlement because this is what happened. And normally, if you win from them, Skip, what do they do? They tie it up. Oh, they keep appealing. Just like when they beat Tom, Tom win. They keep, well, we're going to just keep going until we're going to tie it up, until you get tired of it and says, okay, enough is enough. But no, they called it. Um, this one's kind of directed at the both of us here. Um, since the owls are out and about, it's an anniversary for Drake recently. Matt and AQ, um, he's curious about So Far Gone turning 10. Obviously, um, where does it rank among his best projects? Um, you know, for you, I mean, you can you can take over after this, but I, I mean, for me, So Far Gone, I mean, I've, I've probably talked about this before, but it's like a... Man, it's like that's a such a good time for me in my life. You know what I mean? I was graduating high school, you know, about to turn 18. Like that's prime. You know what I'm saying? So like yeah. those Drake, you know, cruising with my boys and, and hanging out and listening to Drake and Lil Wayne and, you know, the, the, the peak of Lil Wayne mania at that time. You know what I mean? Like just to be like, hey, this kid from Toronto is pretty damn dope. Let's you know, do some projects together, do some work together and kind of gave him a nice shine and, and put him out to the world, so to speak. So I think, you know, so far gone is, is super important, but I mean, dude, take care. Obviously is a classic. Um, 
you know, more life recently. I really love more life. Just the way that the dynamics, how it's, how it switched up, you know, from, yep. from the first part to the second part, it was just, it was just great. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? But what do you, OVO sound radio. Yo, it's, it's, it's so crazy. Cause Drake is kind of the first, I want to say he's the first artist that I experienced as a phenomenon, even more so than 50. Right. Because growing up where I'm from, I knew 50 cent was already right. And the thing but, is too, I was just thinking about this a couple weeks ago, 2007, 50 cent when he released, I get money. Right. And I'm sure you can attest to this. New York was a different place with that song. Yeah. You could not go anywhere in the city without hearing that song. Somebody's yeah. car, somebody's crib, somebody's, you know, stereo. And people forget that he dropped two singles before that. And again, this is the right. first, this is the first album. This is kind of when 50 quote unquote fell off, which is a ridiculous thing to say, but whatever. This is when people consider that he fell off. Um, is that the first two albums sold like basically like two two twenty million records combined, the first two, and this is the third one. And it, there was some delays, there was the him versus Kanye thing. He he just put out a bunch of stuff and then he finally put out I Get Money and that and that just took off. You know, the follow my leads, the the AO technology, the straight to laughing straight to the bank with it. All of these things never they didn't really land. And then he and then it was like it felt like I get money was a last ditch effort and it went crazy. <laughs> it went crazy and it was um, you know, and it was basically 50's last stand, man. But yeah, that's what I'm saying about 50 is like even in 03, 02 or whatever, uh, if it was a phenomenon, but like I had already, if he was already in my consciousness as an artist, right? Even my other favorite people, whether it be like Hove or or Wayne or or Ye or these guys, by the time they got to their zenith, I had already known about them for a while, right? Like I had already, they had already been in my consciousness. Drake was my, I knew nothing about this kid. Nothing about him, never heard of him. I just, you know, I kind of remember, I remember Nairite posting him because I used to be on Nairite every day at that time. And I was like, okay, whatever, Canadian, whatever. Nairite's push. Nairite always pushed stuff that I was like, okay, I, I get it. Y'all, y'all pushing stuff from all over the place and y'all trying to be as democratic and, you know, and I understand that if you're pushing something, part of the, part of the blog era was about like having integrity and the idea that they wouldn't push something that they didn't think was really good. Um, but I ignored it. I completely ignored the whole thing. Cause I've, I'm still like that to a certain extent to this day. Like when I hear about a new rapper, I don't jump and listen to their new project. Well, I wait for what we think yeah. is payola though. You know what I mean? Right. No, no, no. Of course. But it's not even that. Like, Especially now, coming from the even, hot 97 culture. Because <laughs> I don't listen to the to the radio no more. I think even but see, but for whatever reason, I trusted those institutions um, as a young. So if I listen sure. to a new rapper, if you made it to the radio, it mean that you did something to get there. Um, you know, being naive enough not to understand how the labels and the and radio are so in bed with each other. I'm just saying, like, by the time by 2007, I was past radio stuff. It was all internet, sure. right? And so a lot of the times these things would bubble up. Something like even Jay Electronica, who was like a like beyond myth and legend, like the, Dude, the, like he was the, like a the, ghost, bro. The stories around him, like he was just he felt like a mythical figure. What was it like? So, he's Jay Z's homie. He's producing with Kanye. He's doing all bro, this stuff. Just Blaze is working with him. Um, he doesn't have an album out. He's only got these few songs out, but he's this. He's that. He's from New Orleans, but he's got these East Coast roots and this. Like there was all of this myth around him. So, but I'm just saying, like even something like Jay Electronica, I would just ignore. Until your shit bubbled up to the surface, like past past a certain point, uh, like you get to a notoriety level where it's like everybody has to know what you're doing, then I'll give you an evaluation of whether I like you or I don't. But usually I just ignore quote unquote up and coming shit. And Drake was no different. I ignored the entire thing. And I just remember I was at my man of day's house because that, you know, at that time, like. Man, I was, <laughs> we were spending, we were all, me and my homies, spending so much time together. Like, I'd literally just get back from from work or, or some shit and, and go to his house and just talk music, watch TV, watch sports, whatever. I'm in his room. I'll never forget. He's cleaning his room up and he's playing music and the Say What's Real comes on. 
And, you know, I had known the song from 808s and Heartbreak already, which was an album that I fucking hated. That's, that's, and to this day, I still don't like 808s. I still, I still have so many issues with 808s. I get it, guys. He the birth modern music, blah, blah, blah. Kid Cudi invented Drake. Yeah, yeah, but I heard it all. I get it. I just personally, as a Kanye lover, somebody who to this day, I still have love for Kanye, despite all of the bullshit. Um, I just was like, this is whack. Um, so I had already heard Say What's Real. I thought it was a cool song, but, but I didn't have the exact same sentiments as like everybody else did. I guess so many people were obsessed with 808s just as a album, as a concept, as a piece of work, whatever. Um, I didn't have that attachment to Say What's Real. Drake made me like Say What's Real. Real talk. I'm sitting in my friend's room and I'm like, yo, whoever this kid is, he's going off. He's like, it's Drake. And he's like, I've been trying to tell you to listen to him. I was like, nah, I know, but whatever. So then, you know, I, I, I get I get to listening to this kid. The album drops and it's just like, you know, that shit was just like a bomb. So long story short, I just think, I just think, uh, not 808s, I just think So Far Gone is the, obviously it's the most important piece of work because it's what broke him out to the mainstream. And these records went number one, you know, best I ever, and that's the thing, like he's still dropping, that's why I say it's the most important. It set the standard for his career and he's still at that standard, meaning he's still dropping number ones. Best I ever had was number one. Dude, Um, best I ever had was not only a number one, like you could not turn on any radio mtv vh whatever at the time and not successful was a number one that one too you know what i'm saying and then of course he goes from doing that he started doing the money to blow with birdman um bedrock like the young money um compilation stuff all like it's i say it's the most it's the most important thing he put out because it set the standard like this mixtape put out number one records and people thought it was an artistic work so he set the standard for who he is. This is not Flow Rider dropping um low, right? And that being the standard. And right. by the way, that has been the standard, right? It's like I dropped these one-offs that live on Billboard, that live at um Z100's Jingle Ball, or you know, that's where these records for the year. And yeah, whatever. That's you it. know, like God bless him. He's feeding his family. He's doing his thing. Like I don't have. I'm not gonna be grudging for that. But it set the standard. But so far, go ahead and set the standard of we putting out number ones and we putting out stuff with artistic integrity and merit. And so, you know, to me, it's the most important thing he's ever done. And to this day, where you know, we're ten years later, and he dro- he literally has dropped the biggest thing of his life ten years after his career started. Right. Like he's at his biggest point. Right. Like he's never been bigger than what he is right now. You know, we can't say that for Jay-Z or or uh, 50, as we mentioned before, like who's people whose stuff has ebbed and flowed. And Hove is like, you know, he's kind of an ombudsman at this point, you know, like. He's not he he is a mainstream artist, but he's not in that legacy award at this point. Really? Right. He's a legacy act. He's not Chance. He's not Drake. He's not Cole. He's not Kendrick. You understand what I'm saying? Just to name a few of the biggest artists that we got. And so, uh, you know, so far gone, it's, it's not something that I listen to as much of his other work. Uh, but when I do, I'm instantly transported to what I was doing, you know, what it was like to discover this kid. Because, again, I wasn't fucking – I never listened to Comeback Season before this. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never listened to uh, – rep- I never heard of Replacement Girl. That was a thing that never happened in my <laughs> world. Like, I never knew all of this stuff. And I know there's a group of people who were very familiar and intimate with his work before So Far Gone. I wasn't one of those people. My introduction to Drake was So Far Gone and Say What's Real specifically. And so, you know, and, and, you know, and people who listen to this know how I feel about Drake. Like, he's my favorite artist out right now. To me, he makes the most music that I listen to the most. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still listening to Blue Tint damn near every day at the gym. You know? And my feelings came on at a party that I was at yesterday. And I was like, this song is a bop. I'm sorry. You know, like, that's the thing. Like, he makes the most music that I listen to with the most repetition. You know, so, so that's my so far gone piece. From, 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 a, from a Drake fan standpoint, because I've always found this to be a little interesting. Looking at Drake and his body of work. Do you prefer Drake when he's solo Drake or Drake with Trey Songs, Drake with Lil Wayne, Drake with Rihanna, Nikki, whoever? You know what I mean? Because there's two different types of Drakes. You know what I'm saying? Because like if he's doing a full 
song, just Drake, he's uh-huh. going in telling that full story of X, Y, and Z. Or this okay, my, my favorite Drake is definitely, okay, my favorite Drake is, you know, an example of this. My fa- Okay, if I have to pick one, an example of this would be like Wu-Tang Forever, right? right. Where he spits to, to my mind one of the best verses of his life. And he still got that. I just love when I'm with you, man. The shit is on ten. He's still doing that. He's doing everything, in my opinion. He's not quite doing passion fruit, but he's doing a, a good enough approximation of that. Where he's he is literally walking the tightrope on that song. Well, it's like he's Drake featuring Drake, like he says. You know yes. what I mean? You know, and to me, that's to me, that's when he's at his most unstoppable. It's the seamless transition, the way he's able to manipulate his voice to do this one thing and be in the pocket in an incredible way and still do the, you know, the melodies and the harmonies and all of this other shit. Right. Um, My second favorite Drake, honestly, is like shit that he did with Lil Baby or shit that he did on Versace when he's aping other artists in their style and like especially the rap stuff. You know what I'm saying? Shit that he does with 21. Those are my favorite things. When You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my favorite thing to watch. Um, even though on something like, uh, on something like uh, Buried Alive, which I'm not into, you know what I'm saying? I'm the, that's not my thing, and that's not a Kendrick shot. Like, I don't really understand that song, but I get what he's trying to do. He's like, yo, this kid is next, right? Um, to the point where, and I tell people this shit all the time. Um, hell yeah, fucking right. That's him just completely aping Kem- Kendrick style. He's just biting Kendrick. 150 million percent, he's just biting him. But the thing like, is with that stuff too is like Drake likes to match what that person is putting out in the studio because he loves to be in the studio making these songs as opposed yeah. to, hey, I'm in London. Let me just send you a track. But he again, he likes to be there. Look and, and, alive. And that, and that, you know, when you work with somebody like that, if you're working with a little baby for two, three days, I mean, obviously you're going to get, you know, some of his flow and you want to match his energy. Something like look alive, something like, and, you know, I, I personally, because I'm somebody who's a fan of dance hall music my whole life, I loved what he was doing with PopCon. I love what he's, what he's, what he has done with the Afrobeat cats. Like, I love that. I haven't been crazy about the UK stuff, but I understand why people enjoy it. I love when he does the rap stuff that I still, still to me, it's like when he's doing his Drake, I'm rapping my ass off and he's combining it with the, with the singing or harmonizing or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and, uh, when he's just straight up, like going on a young hungry cat, like a 21, like a baby, you know, like a block boy, like Amigos, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm sorry, that Versace moment is something I'll never forget. Like I'm going to parties and people were – and that verse is not like an easy verse to remember or recite. People were citing that Versace verse word for word because he just snapped on it. I love when he's doing that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And to anybody out there who, you know, is is on the fence about Drake and, and you haven't heard his old stuff or even his Lucy's, I mean, like, you know, 9 a.m. in Dallas, 5 a.m. in what is it, 5 a.m. Toronto, 4 a.m. in uh Timestamp Drake yeah. as as it's been dubbed. That's that's a nice, you know, ransom old Drake, little Wayne mixtape stuff. That's all I mean, bro, I just played ransom like this weekend and I was still like A B C you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like doing the whole thing. Because that's like that stuff yeah. is great. And that's little Wayne too at his peak. Like that's good and, you little know, Wayne. I've heard the the biggest the biggest criticism I've ever you know, the, the main criticism of Drake is like, oh, he's aping other people's stuff all the time and oh his shit doesn't age well. I honestly Think that like the ape and stuff, whatever you can say that about him, you can say it about yeah, you can say it about Hove, and you can say what it means for people for artists to do that type of stuff, as opposed to somebody like J. Cole, who's literally gone three albums without a feature. You know what I'm saying? Um, we can talk about the differences between that, um, and the merits and you know what it means of what it means to be a rap artist and do it or not do it, like that's cool. Uh I think when people say that his music doesn't age well, I just think it's patently false and unfair. Nah, that's so untrue. So <laughs> untrue because sure, there's some stuff that like maybe it's not the same sound, but honestly, go listen to Ransom. Go listen what? to Ransom. Like that that was made in like 07. 
Oh, eight. The, the shit with Lil Wayne and, and Bun B on the first album, or even oh, yeah. something like Fancy on the first album. Or That's even Unstoppable. A jam. Unstoppable with Santa Gold. Unstoppable with Santa Gold is crazy. November 18th is crazy. Um, like these songs are still, if you want to bop to them, you can. And the thing of the problem with Drake is that he's never stopped putting out hits. There's no reason to look back, right? Say somebody like me who loves 50. Of course, in 2019, I have incentive to go back and listen to 50 Cent is the Future and listen to Get Rich and listen to The Massacre because he's no longer killing me with stuff that impacts me that way anymore, right? Like, I don't feel like how I feel the first time I heard Get Rich when 50 drops a new project. So I have incentive to go back to those feelings with Drake. You don't have that. He's still dropping shit that smacks you the same way Best I Ever Had did. Like, in my feelings, it's just Best I Ever Had updated 10 years from now. Basically, yeah. It's just the dance craze stuff now, yeah. Like, who? Like, it's, it's like, you can't, do, like, I can't do it with Hope. Because it's like, when Volume 3 dropped, like, he was just in a different space. His music, I received his music in such a different way. So it's like, when I listen to Volume 3, I'm literally transported. To that time where, where Hove was the only thing that mattered in the whole world to me as far as rap goes, you know. So I'm incentivized to do that. So, of course, I'm like, oh, this music has aged so beautifully because I fell in love with it at a certain time. And that person is no longer making songs that people, you know, are impacted that way by. Not to say that Hove is putting out trash. Like, obviously, we all love 444. But even if you want to say 444 is a better album than volume three the or volume two or, uh, you know, the blueprint. Like, you're no longer receiving Hove's music that way. And it's Hove it, in a different space in 444. It's, it's, it's Hove, everything, everything I'm is old, different. I got a family, my kids, you know what I mean? It's different than, like, you know, I'm selling crack. But trust me, if Hove was able to maintain the level of interest, the level of impact and cutting through um, for the 10 years after blueprint, you know, people will be talking about Blueprint a lot differently. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's it's no, just for sure. hard. For sure. You know, that was just a seminal moment. I just think Drake is just, he just hasn't stopped. And so, it's it, you know, for people to levy that, oh, he doesn't make shit that lasts, his bubble gum, I just think that's unfair and just false. Another toast. Another toast. Amazon. Another toast. Last session. What's his name of the album? So far gone. So far gone. So far gone. Today it is 1125, Tuesday, February 10th, 19. What is this? 2000. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to say 19. 2000. You know, some real shit. We so far gone. This is 2009. And my nigga Drake just finished his third mixtape. Drake, tell the people what you got to tell them about them dips. Say, tell, tell them a little bit about this mixtape. Tell them. Tell them what they're going to be getting out of this one. Tell them. Tell them. Man, look. All I can say is, it's just, it's a body of work, man. It's a body of work to listen to and appreciate and get lost in, you know? So, I just, I just hope you enjoy it. That's all I can say, man. You know, so far gone. Took me a long time. So, shit, enjoy it. Uh, one more big one, and then we'll hit a couple quick hitters to get out of here. Um, this one's from Matt and AQ again. Another good question. Uh, he wants to know your thoughts on Amazon bailing on Long Island City and oh, the Blasio whining I'm happy. about it. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy because I'm proud of New York City for standing up to these cats and people on the ground straight up stepping up. Because uh, what you would call it, man, um, they wanted to do this. City Hall wanted to do this. They just wanted the prestige because right. honestly, as a politician, you incentivized by this type of shit. Like I'm the one who brought Amazon here, right? Like that goes on your record. Yeah, I'm the one thing. who brought the West Side Stadium here, right? Which ended up not happening. You know, the Jets messed that up, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like politicians are, they wanted that in City Hall, and the people on the ground got this shit to stop. And guess what, man? We're not Wisconsin. And those of you who listen to um who listen to Woke Bros enough, go out and Google Foxconn and Google how they got that deal together. And Google the bullying that they did, the lying that they did to get that deal done. All because they can go to this small town in Wisconsin and, you know, show them some shiny shit and get them to be on board. And those 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 little city government officials in those little towns, you know how easily bought off those dudes are? You know, easily bought and paid for those dudes are. We're not even going to get into Scott Walker and the, the disgusting, crooked, crook 
you know, scumbag that he is. But they was able to walk into that little town and bully those folks and sell them a dream. But they came to New York and New York told them to kick rocks. And I'm fucking proud of them for it. Because the bottom line is even when they talk about, oh, we bring a 20,000. Not really. It's it, that th- that's the biggest thing is like people don't understand that you're bringing the jobs, sure. But you know who's going to apply who for those jobs? Already have those jobs to New York. That and people in Ohio or Pennsylvania or Jersey are going to be like, hey, let me Connecticut even let me apply for this job and then let me move into a city that already has too many. It's people. It's not going to be a bunch of people from Flushing, and I'm not even talking about people shouldn't be moving to New York over crack because I even think that's a little bit overblown, especially when you see somewhere. In a place sure, but like, it's not jobs for New York it's people. Not. You know what I mean? Especially some, some in a place like Long Island City, where shit, man, it'd be nice if all of the industrial shit wasn't just, you know, that they're up, they, they're tearing down the industrial stuff. Because in Queens, there's a shit ton of that industrial shit, right? And like getting rid of now, they just house strip clubs there. But I'm just saying, like, getting these places, <laughs> it's industrial places. Like, we, we don't live in an industrial society anymore. Those things are empty. People aren't using them for the most part. And if they made those places in, in places like Long Island City, uh, you know, where it's more residential or not residential, but like, you know, you erect buildings where actual people live at. And it's because they were getting an actual living wage from Amazon. But you know, that's not what the case is going to be. That neighborhood is going to come up, but that's because people who already make a shit ton of money with Amazon are now going to be moved to New York. And Amazon knows to attract the type of employee that they want to have going forward. They can't just be in Seattle. They can't just be up there. They got to be in places like New York because it makes their jobs more attractive and competitive. And we get that. But they're not giving it to the rank and file New Yorkers. That's not the case. So I'm glad people stepped up and was like, dog, we, you want subsidies just like just so you can have the right. So we can have the privilege of saying Amazon is here. New York fucking city. Are you fucking crazy? We from New York. ISIS, if you come to New York City and you try to blow anything up, Barack Obama is coming for you. I'm from Brooklyn. I read Brooklyn all day. They killed Biggie. What part of Brooklyn are you I'm from? from Brownsville. You're from Brownsville. Brownsville you are very Brooklyn. You are very I'm Brooklyn. So fucking Brooklyn. You are so they Brooklyn. killed my boy Biggie. They fucking killed Biggie because he was a legend. I'm sorry, Rob. I get emotional about this type of shit. Nah, I mean, look, like, dude, are it's, you it's... crazy? New York needs to be associated with you, bro. How? How? For sure. It uh, it, it wasn't a good same um, Wisconsin boy. No disrespect to the Wisconsin people who listen to this show, but like I said, go look up what those Foxconn people did. Go look, bought and paid for those bitch ass city officials, yo. Seriously, promising all kinds of jobs and but it's bullshit. They just bullshit them because they knew they could do it. And that leads us to one of our final quick hitters of the show. Um, this one comes from Ben, or I'm sorry, this one comes from Brian Leachy. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Brian. I know you're a fan of the show, fan of the uh, Count the Dings Network all the way out in uh, Sydney. Uh, he asks, um, as, do you have any article book recommendations? Obviously, the topic you were just discussing could be something they uh, look into, but anything that's been kind of... Already- Book recommend, yo, man. Honestly, dude, and I say this all the time when y'all asking me about this stuff. I haven't read, yo. I haven't. Read, I've been trash for books this year. But as far as who you should be like listening to, I think what Chris Hayes is doing on doing on his Why Is This Happening podcast is incredible. Like the people whose voices he allows on that show. Um, Everybody who listens to this should be listening to Chris Hayes' podcast, Why Is This Happening? Like, he goes, he does deep dive into shit that we care about. And with a worldview that is very in line with that of the people on Woke Bros. So I think you should be listening to that, and I think you should be listening to Mehdi Hassan's podcast, um, Deconstructed. It's on the... um, the Intercept, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, who we don't really fuck with. <laughs> that's his outfit. Actually, Mike is that's Mike's man's. I don't really bang with son because he's Laura Ingraham's best friend these days. But um, Mehdi Hassan, bro, deconstructed on the Intercept. Those two podcasts you should be absolutely listening to. I love what they're doing. Um, one more question here from Ben Gordon. And not that Ben Gordon at Praise the Gord. Mount Vernon. He just simply yeah. asks, or they just simply asked, any Haitian spots in Queens you recommend for some grub? 
Oh, I'm still big um good taste. I'm still a big good taste enthusiast. Like that's over there on Linden Boulevard. It's in Cambria Heights, right before it's on the Queens and Long Island border. I'm still big good taste. Uh there's a couple of uh free tie spots on Jamaica Ave, like I want to say like Jamaica and 216 over in the Queens Village neighborhood, my old stomping grounds. So I would, and I forget the name of this spot, man, but I'm still a big taste spot because it's like, you know, it's in and out, right? Like they pioneered that shit for a Haitian restaurant, specifically in Queens. Like you go in on the cafeteria line and if you want tasso, you want grill, you want fried fish, you want chicken, you want whatever, you know, their rice is always popping. They do a mac and cheese for you. It's reasonably priced. I remember when them shits was six fifty a fucking box. I'm sure it's like 11 or 12 now, but it's still reasonably priced. Good quality food, a nice amount. Shout out to my people at Good Taste, bro. And the last question to close us off here, at Ike Taurus asks from Discord. And once again, everybody can ask access Discord on patreon.com slash count the dings. He just wants to know a simple question. Uh, when the hell is Waz coming back to the Discord chat? Yo, man, <laughs> you know what happened, dog, is like I actually and this is going to sound like an excuse, but it's not. It's like I actually got a new phone that if, if anybody noticed, when did I get this phone? I think I got this phone in June. So that's when I stopped doing the discord. I didn't have it on my new phone. I also ended up losing my laptop. My laptop got stolen and my man's car got broken into in New York and my laptop got stolen. So I didn't have it automatically synced with my new laptop. And I was just too lazy to figure out, yo, Jade, how how do I get in the discord and download it on my phone and do all this other shit and make sure I'm one of the admins and all of that. I was just lazy, but I will. Okay. I promise. I They're promise you, you on guys. The spot, Waz. They want to know. Rob, and Rob, you know what? You can remind me. By the time we get on, by the time I'm talking into this mic on the next Woke Bros, I will be back in the Discord chat. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Here to hear first, ladies and gentlemen, Big Waz with the guarantee of the week. And just hit my line on Twitter to make sure you're reminding me and stuff like that. Instagram, if you follow me at Big Waz on on all social media platforms, just hit my line and be like, "Yo, what's up? I I will get back in the Discord. I will say what up to our people." Um, I just want to say that to everybody who listens to this show, listens to all the shows throughout the network, man. Um, I'm really, really super appreciative of all the support we get from you guys. Last year around this time, we got some of the most terrible news that a company can get. Um, and it's, and it's not just cause you know, we're a company and we're trying to, we're trying to get something dope done together. We're all really close and we're all really friends and you know, all this, this terrible thing that happened, happened to all of us. So it's like, if it was just me and be whatever, but it's going through, it's, it's happening with all my brothers too. And so we were going through a difficult time last year and, um, we're on the precipice of announcing some really cool shit that we're going to be doing going forward. And I just want to thank everybody who has supported us throughout this entire, you know, transitional period, man. It got so ugly. Uh, we might've had to fold up and go our separate ways and do, do something else. But you know, our patrons, the people who supported our sponsors, the people who straight up like hit Jade up all the time to tell him what a great job that he's doing. Hit me up, hit Trey, hit Zach, hit Amin. Um, it kept guys going and wanting to do stuff. Um, you know, just the idea that people fucked with us a lot. And I don't want to say depend on our con on our content, but really love what we do. You know, and and that shit matters, you know, not just the the financial stuff, the monetary stuff, what it does spiritually for somebody to know that you got such a, you know, a a decent amount of people. Like, we don't have the hugest crowd, but we got a decent amount of people who love what we do, man, and and, and aren't afraid to, to express to us, you know, how much they appreciate what we're doing as a group. And 
you know, these these new things that we'll be rolling out pretty soon and announcing, man, I swear to God, it's only but for the people that support us, you know, even after the crash, so to speak. So I want to send a big thank you to everybody who loves this show. I appreciate y'all getting at us, giving us your comments, your feedbacks, your critiques, you know, shit talking me on Twitter. I love all of that, man. I appreciate what y'all do, man. Um, so I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everybody for that. Um, outside of that, man, um, of course, you know, make sure you get your tickets to the live show in Boston if you're in the Northeast. Or if you want to fly from Australia or England or, you know, South Africa where we got some of our fans hey, at Pull I was, Up. I was actually looking at some stuff and uh, one one way trip flight from Boston to New York, currently 20 bucks on JetBlue right now if you buy this week. Okay. So, so 20 you bucks go. for the flight 20 back. bucks to get your ass right to, to Boston from New York, man. So please, we only got a few tickets left, man. I would love to see us sell out, see a bunch of Count the Ding supporters, man, as long as as well as the Sloan Dorks. I, I got no problem with them either. But, you know, that would be just fantastic for everybody to come out and, and support and, and have a good time. And, of course, make sure you get your, your tickets to the TMBS live show in L.A. I will be in the building, in the flesh, um, in all of my sports. Blender, so to speak, man. I'm a, I'm a really be going in. I'm gonna act the ass in LA, man, because you know the TMBS crowd is a different, a slightly different crowd from the Count the Dings one. So I look forward to that in a, in a major way. Of course, Anna Kasparian and Vila um, pulling up too. So um, make sure you guys get tickets to that. Those, those of you on the left coast, man. Do we have anything else, Rob? Nope, I think that's it. Once again, make sure everybody, if you're not already a Patreon, go ahead, patreon.com forward slash council things. We have uh, special Discord rewards, uh, different access to early tickets for future live show events, which we do have, you know, uh, reportedly some coming up in the works, maybe out west around some NBA playoff stuff, but you never know. Um, outside of that, I think that's it, Was. All right, y'all. See y'all in a week. I'm out. One. <laughs>